amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you are in the in the uh, 48 uh, lower states. Um, this is Michael Vanderborg, and it is May 14th, and we're doing a daytime show for the first time in a while. Our guest today is Katie Zink. Katie, welcome to Drive Through HR. You're, you're it's morning for you because you're in Portland. So, what's going on in Portland? Hey there, Michael. There might be an echo happening. Are you hearing this? Um, you're you're fine on my end. Can you? Yeah. Let, let's Ooh. let's let's just keep going. Are you getting echo in your in your connection? It's repeating itself um, for me on my end. Let's see if it. Yeah, it's not. Here. It's not in the. It's not. In, I'm sorry. It'll be confusing for you, but it's not in the recording. So let's just go on. Okay. Hey there, Michael. Can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Go go ahead and uh, tell folks who you are and what you do. Awesome. Sorry about that. I think I figured out what was going on. Um, so okay. yeah, it's my pleasure to join you th- today. Uh, it's morning for me. I'm over on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I am here to talk today about elevating organizational inclusion, equity, and diversity. Um, and you've been so kind to, to, to allow me to join this week. So a little bit about me. Um, Right now, I'm focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, helping companies build their plans to put in place um, once they're ready to make the commitment. So um, we'll kind of get a little bit into this later, I imagine, but I like to open up with DEI work as sort of being on a spectrum. Um, It can look many, many different ways for many different companies, and it's very context dependent. And so that informs a lot of my work. Ultimately, my goal, though, is to help them put this plan in place so they can create positive and a dynamic culture that hears, recognizes, and supports all voices in the organization. And in my work, I talk a lot about collective success. Um, You can see on my website that I start off saying, you know, I focus on strategies for collective inclusion uh, because I believe that that's true organizational effectiveness. So my, my background ranges from work in the hospitality world to um, education, and I've uh, worked at a various amount of tech companies here in Portland. Most recently, I was working at an ed tech company um, where we delivered a literacy curriculum, teaching students from grades K to eight um, digital skills. So I was working in the client success side of things, and then I transitioned over to the marketing communications department, focusing on, you know, that external communication. 
And then about two years ago, I started, um, I, I stepped into the chair position of a diversity and inclusion committee that uh, one of our employees started right around 2017, right after the election. And I, had, I was a member of the committee for a year. It was a really frustrating time, though. We, we didn't feel very productive. We didn't have a plan. We, we were kind of just project managing our way through this work and trying to understand it at the same time. And so about mm. a year later, I decided, you know, I actually feel pretty confident discussing these issues. I, I think I can have an impact. You know, my, back, my education is in women and gender studies, and I've completed a lot of coursework in racial studies, ethnic studies. So, you know, I, I love talking about this stuff, and I feel like I can really help. So I ended up stepping in to the leadership role um, of this voluntary committee. And for the last two years of my time there, um, I led the committee. And I absolutely loved it. It was the most rewarding part of my job. <laughs> mm. And so about a year ago, I realized, you know, I have this entrepreneurial kind of, um, I feel very entrepreneurial. I feel like I want to explore this in my career. And I feel like right now, especially in Portland, this work is gaining a lot of traction. A lot of organizations are realizing how important it is to have a visible commitment to diversity. So um, about two years ago, I decided that's what I was going to do. And I, and I, you know, created my business and I've now um, launched a signature consulting program um, and it's called the collective culture model. And so that's where I actually kind of step in as their strategist and guide their way through creating their first year strategic plan for um, their very first, you know, commitment to this initiative. And because what I found is that more and more companies know it's important. It's not really having to sell um, understanding what it is or that they need it. They know it is important and they want to show this uh, and demonstrate this. They just don't know what to do. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's helpful for me to step in as kind of a third party or an objective lens and guide them in a very structured, you know, familiar way. It's strategic planning, which many of us, you know, do regularly. And so, um, that's really the meat of, of my program. It's a three-month program, and by the scalable plan um, that's built for action. Um, it's, and ideally, it's very representative of the whole organization. We, we've got you know executive sponsors involved and stakeholders from all the departments. And so, um, ideally, uh, we will work towards collective success for everybody in the company. Okay. I have a couple short questions, and then um, so the first one is, um, I found it interesting, and it, and it seems like these things grow. So you use the you use DEI versus di just diversity or just inclusion or DNI, which you see a lot. So you've included equity, um, and I mean that makes sense. But 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 how did you decide to describe? you know, kind of the summary of your practice as diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how are they different? Mm -hmm. It's a good question. And, you know, that question comes up a lot because, you know, with many different acronyms popping up all over the place and, you know, different terminologies, this work kind of um, requires a strong command of a ton of different evolving language. And so you'll mm -hmm. hear, you know, some, some practitioners even start with EDI or the with IDE, or even, you know, I've seen JEDI, I've seen J-E-D-I out there uh, to include justice, and I've, I've seen 
dibs to include diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, so kind of what I mentioned earlier, that it's, it's very context-specific to what that organization is striving for. I definitely am guilty of kind of using a lot of different ways to reference it. Um, so to your question about equity, and uh, I can reference one of my favorite thought leaders who lives here in Portland, who has a fabulous TED talk about why equity needs to be in the work. Um, because you can, you can think about it this way. Diversity is being invited to the party, but inclusion is being asked to dance. So equity is then the third component where we need to have holistic consideration for everyone where they are in their life. Um, we need to be meeting people where they are if we're to solve for every issue. We need to be centering those who have been the most historically marginalized you know, in their work, in their experience, in their day-to-day, um, and also generationally. So equity just really gives a nod to, you know, yes, equality. It's a little bit like equality, but it's even more specific to the fact of centering people who have been the most marginalized needing that support because the outcome will be that everybody benefits. And so you'll see equity come up a lot more as actually the most important component of this work, whereas the yes, that's what we're all here to achieve, but we can't really do that uh, authentically without a focus on equity work. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you also use on your website a lot the term actionable, actionable DEI. Is that a is that a definitional thing for you, or you know, I guess if, you know you would think DEI should be actionable anywhere, right? But it, maybe not because some companies don't get it. How do you uh, how did you come on that idea, and what does that represent for you in terms of your practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, my message that I'm really trying to get in front of people is why strategic equals actionable. And that might seem like a, a completely obvious thing to say, but I've seen a lot of companies kind of take this check the box approach. Um, they will try to do kind of some one-off or fragmented efforts to show that they're committed. And all that, you know, I fully believe is in good faith, but it's not really and it's not things, it's not an effort that everyone in the organization will be on the same page on and be able to articulate equally. And so I'm very much of the belief that before any doing or acting, there really needs to be common ground and total understanding of what's needed in that context. And so many of us, you know, are wired to want to take action often well before we really understand what we need to do. So this really calls for like an immersion of self-education, you know, individuals really going deep and getting real with, you know, coming to terms with some of their own privileges and some of their own experiences and, and inherent and unconscious biases that we all have. So that work really needs to happen first before we can just, you know, do these um, grand, you know, gestures of, of this work because it just won't come across as authentic. But of course, action is what needs to happen in the, in the end result. So um, I guess when I say actionable, I mean, there just really needs to be an intentional plan and there needs to be data to prove what's needed in the organization first. And there needs to be, you know, involvement from, from the, everyone in the organization. It's an organization wide effort. And some of the myths that I hear are that it should, you know, 
you're an HR, you're an HR practitioner, you know, our listeners are, it probably is falling on their shoulders right now um, in their individual companies. And I'm of the belief that that's really not, really not fair. I mean, it's a lot of these, a lot of people that are flexing their skills and, and involved in this work clearly already have full-time jobs. And so it kind of is everybody's job. It's not one person's job. And so my program kind of steps everybody through, you know, bite-sized actions they can all take. Um, but ultimately there really needs to be, you know, clarity on what are the problems we're trying to solve and how, and then, you know, even before that, it's just getting really observant. You know, I write a lot about this is how to start noticing what's going on at work um, and how to use that, you know, what I call DEI lens or equity lens is used a lot in the space. Um, approaching everything you do with that lens. And then once you kind of get comfortable doing that on a regular basis, little actions will emerge that you can, you can take. Um, you know, being an effective ally is an amazing action that people can start becoming more comfortable doing. Uh, becoming more culturally competent is, I think, I mean, that's, that's a massive skill to learn if you're new to it. You know, that, would, that's, that would be a fantastic action folks can take. Um, you know, but ultimately, I think, Getting immersed in it, self-educating is the best first action one can take and, you know, develop those skills around empathy and develop active listening skills, you know, spur conversation with folks on these subjects, but really just try to, you know, quiet your mind and be present and listen during the conversations. And you'll probably learn something. You'll probably learn an action um, just from that one conversation that you can take. Awesome. Um so this is like every time I talk to somebody that does what you do as kind of their main HR related, you know, skill set, I, I, this, this question comes up in my mind and that is that um, diversity and inclusion, you know, it's been through all kinds of iterations and like yours with DEI, you know, seems like another one and you could equate that to LGBTQ where they, you know, now it's LGBTQIA, you know, it just kind of keeps growing to encompass more and more. Um, and all this stuff is is aspirationally great for an organization and for individuals. Um, and many companies strive to drive, you know, these efforts. And yet our our society, like, and I'm you know, I'm gonna drag in the news like um a little bit. Our society struggles with this. And it's the individuals. I mean, there's groups and clearly I don't want to get into politics, but you know, we've got like the people who want, want to want everyone to wear masks versus people who are, you know, somehow a mask is an extreme violation of their civil liberties, which I don't get. But a lot of people seem to be on that bandwagon. And then we've had, you know, the, the, the shootings of, of um, you know, of, of uh, folks in, in um, Ahmed Arbery and others, you know, just in the news this week and Amy Stevens, mm -hmm. who was involved in a case at the Supreme court. And I don't think they've ruled yet about transgender issues in the workplace. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the news where we, we don't deal with this stuff. Well, as individuals, you mentioned empathy, how, how, do, how does an organization aspire to do this kind of really good work and yet, deal with all these kind of, you know, individual biases and opinions and stuff. How, how do you help them with that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that we're all still kind of writing the narrative of what to do from here, um, you know, with COVID related stuff, with the violence that's happening still. Um, and everyone, 
you know, kind of works through this and copes individually for sure. And, you know, as an organization, um, you want to do what's best for the company. You want to do, you know, what's best for the collective good. Um, and, you know, I talk a lot about prioritizing people over profit. Um, and I was interviewing a friend of mine recently who, you know, we talked about how to unify amongst difference. And uh, it was felt like a very big question to tackle. Um, mm-hmm. But I, <laughs> but I think that what you said, I loved how you bring up distinction between individual and collective. Is you know my my program, the collective culture model, is sort of inspired by this distinction because they're neither neither are better than the other, neither is wrong, neither is right. I mean, it's important to have individualism. It's important to have collectivism. I designed my program to honor the good of the group, the collective best, the collective success. And Mm so, you know, we're all going through this thing right now. None of us can ignore this. We're all trying to cope and stay sane, you know, with these different crises popping up, feeling, it feels like every day almost. And so we're trying to ensure our foundational needs are met. We're trying to ensure our civil liberties are met and everyone's kind of defining that differently. And, you know, we're not, we're no stranger to kind of feeling divided oftentimes. And yes, don't want to dive too deeply into politics, but thinking about, you know, the collective strategies to protect all of us, I think is what, how decisions need to be made. You know, folks that feel like I shouldn't have to wear a mask, you know, I don't feel symptomatic. I don't feel this way. I don't, doesn't apply to me. You know, unfortunately, I just feel like that's what's holding back moving forward because, you know, social distancing, for example, is a tactic honoring collective over the individual we Mm -hmm. all have to take these steps together in order to see growth and 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 improvement in an Oregon um I'm grateful to say I really trust our governor that she's extended our lockdown you know well into the summer we're looking at July I think for now and I was just talking with a a a colleague of mine in Ohio who's just like oh I'm afraid like I I don't want to I'm not going to leave my house, even though businesses are opening, you know, and that's her individual choice because she's honoring the collective. Um, so I hope that that answers the question is that just, it kind of um, brings up a, how do we unify amongst difference? How do we find that common ground? Um, and I hope that COVID we learn that, you know, this is impacting everybody differently. It's kind of right. shedding light and highlighting you know, lots of inequities um, and lots of injustices we maybe weren't previously aware of. Hope that it still has the potential to unify us and help us understand each other better because we're just trying to make these decisions that help everybody collectively and we're centering the most at risk, which that's why we're doing this. That's why we're sheltering Mm -hmm. in place. We're protecting this marginalized group who's at risk now. and we're, we're cent- hopefully, you know, many governors, I think, are still centering people over profit. You know, you hear a lot of other, you know, mayors and governors that want to open. And, of course, we all want to go back to work. Of course, we're all trying to stay sane and not being able to go into work has been tough for everybody. Um, but they don't have a plan for the safety of the people. So um, I just, yeah, I just keep going back to the fact that we have to stay collective minded right now during this time. Yeah, and it's it's difficult, and you know, and I think that reflects back into like you know the the famous statement for BNI is you know come to work and be your whole authentic self. And frankly, mm-hmm. when individuals show up, you know, right now, 
Um, sometimes the, their whole authentic selves aren't that appealing and or aren't that helpful, you know. So it's it's mm. I, I don't know that we'll ever crack this, and I know there's not one answer to that question, but it's definitely something that um, I guess organizations, you know, with, with employment and that kind of thing, there there are some group norm kind of things, and employers can kind of sort of demand that, or ex, maybe not demand, but more rather have expectations about how people conduct themselves in the in the workplace. But like, I, I just saw a video the other day that I couldn't believe where on Mother's Day, uh, it was at a Red Lobster somewhere on the East Coast and a customer was like attacking, and, and there was a customer and a worker from the Red Lobster, two women, and they were like not beating the crap out of each other, but they were shoving each other and the, you know, it was like a five minute, display you know f bombs flying around and you know over mm. over mother's day food right the one day of the year where we, you know one of the days of the year we should all be being nice to each other these two ladies were going to beat the and it turned into a brawl for you know wow waiting for food you know <laughs> yeah nothing to do with d and i but i mean you know like I, in some cases this stuff brings out the worst i guess so that's not really the that's not really what we were here to talk about though but it just seems like it's such an ongoing problem that it you know what you do is always going to have some some difficulty in the organization and hopefully you know the, the ones that are successful i guess norm some of this stuff out to where they they do the best they can um you, you well, actually, I might jump in quickly. I, I, I would sure. say, actually, um, what you bring up is interesting. I would connect it to to equity and inclusion work because I think sometimes in times of stress, in times of like not feeling like we have what we need, we act out and we, uh, you know, our deepest biases, our deepest kind of like conflictive yep. traits uh, kind of <laughs> rear their ugly head. And people are like, people are uh, kind of reactionary right now. And I And I feel like, I would definitely tie that into how people treat each other at work. You know, it's a high stress environment. You, you're trying to get things done efficiently and productively. And so um, our brain kind of goes to that zone of, you know, trying to maybe, maybe going into that stereotyping mode, maybe just relying on mm -hmm. your inherent biases or, um, you know, coherent biases to make decisions quickly. Um, so, yeah, I think that's actually a really, a really smart tie in. Um, yeah, you know, things like, you know, I've seen some accounts online where people, you know, wear a mask and you know, some of their colleagues, you know, their coworkers kind of shame them, you know, mass shaming, I guess, you know, and, and we hear about mm -hmm. all kinds of shaming, right? And it's just, you know, we just seems like we, a lot of times we, we go to the bad side at times and, you know, we struggle mm -hmm. to be better. Um, you, you know, you mentioned COVID-19 a couple of times, I guess, um, how has it affected your business and, and kind of the work you do? Has there been a, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a direct impact, but what does it look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've definitely had to do some pivoting in my approach. Um, I, I feel very comfortable working virtually. I've, I've worked from home for quite some time. So that wasn't a challenging shift for me. And my program can be completely delivered virtually. And so I am, you know, willing to ex willing to work for sure and, and open to new clients. Um, a lot of my clients, a lot of clients of my um, peers out there and, and other DNI practitioners, you know, they're not going to be doing a lot of workshopping or a lot of um, kind of their regular efforts that they were kind of in the midst of because we've kind of made this like upheaval to survival mode. Um, it's unfortunately been a challenge to justify 
spending time with this stuff. And so, you know, a lot of DNI practitioners are out there saying this is the most important time to not let this stuff go on the back burner. Um, mm-hmm. But I was talking with, you know, a, a client of mine and a, and a good friend of mine. She says it, it feels like it's pulling teeth. Um, you know, they their strategy is to meet quarterly. And it was a, a kind of a coalition or a committee that I helped um, right now they're down to about four people attending. So it's just hard to like assign things out, get the work done. They have some sort of, uh, they, they have a, a really nice amount of like sustaining programs and employee resource groups that I help them build that are, you know, running, you know, running really easily because they're already in place. Um, but, you know, bringing in outside speakers is challenging right now. You know, companies sure. aren't going to be bringing in outside consultants, you know, I don't know when, honestly. But, um, but you know, resources and, and, and policies and practices, this is a really good time to revisit those things. Um, mm-hmm. So my client was able to just roll out a brand new um, hiring manager kind of document to help with structured interviewing, structured hiring practices, um, you know, to lend themselves to equitable hiring practices. They're on a hiring freeze, um, but that actually maybe is, is a good time for them to take a breath and be proactive uh, about creating these resources. So there's there's a lot of stuff that we can definitely keep doing. Um, it just might look a little bit differently. Um, so I have a role model that told me, you know, as long as you stay true to your point of view, just know that your method of delivery will change. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. this is like a perfect time to, this is just like, yep, this is that time now. Um, virtual events are becoming the norm already very quickly. Um, so for me, I'm feeling optimistic still. I'm feeling, feeling like, this is a really good time to build relationships and be there for people, you know, and just hear what they're going through because, you know, we don't have a manual for this stuff yet. And, um, you know, trying to put out resources to help people during this time is really, really good, but we're all kind of just an uncharted territory. Um, and I just want to be present to listen what organizations are needing and centering that um, and then kind of develop content to go forward you know next month i'm focusing a lot on being inclusively during and so like some of the questions i'm kind of throwing out there are you know how are organizations creating opportunities to listen to their employees right now and then you know what are they doing with the information um and then you know thinking about crisis response uh communications um i talk a lot about kind of measures for success of this work and not everything is completely cut and dry measurable, but there is a lot that is. Um, I think moving forward, we're going to have a lot of potential to have, you know, what I call a responsive category for measuring these efforts. So uh, trauma-informed readiness efforts is what I call this. So this is really going to spark a need to have, you know, crisis response plans, you know, empathetic um, layoff plans. Um, and, you know, communication plans for when these external injustices are happening, you know, with like what happened, um, you know, with the violence and the shootings, you know, our, our employees are going to want to know that our leaders um, are there for them and have, you know, are communicating to them and um, holding space for them. So I think I've been hearing this, that uh, it's kind of a confusing potential of what could come from this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in many ways, like life will never be the same. And I kind of hope so. I kind of hope we can shed some of the stuff that we don't need anymore after going through this. Um, but yeah, my personally, I'm feeling optimistic. I'm feeling like I have a lot of time to really perfect 
my offering and make it as relevant as possible for when we do come out on the other side of this. Yeah, we have about just about under slightly under three minutes left. Um, and so we had a, I had a few more questions for you, but we're not going to get to them. So we'll have to do another show, uh, uh, you know, sometime down the road, maybe. But um, yeah, like I saw that just a, I saw, I think it was Uber. Yeah, it was Uber laid off 3,500 people this week on Zoom and they were doing like three minute calls. Right. And, you know, ordinarily I would kind of roast them for that decision. But in this circumstance, I mean, I think I would have allotted more than three minutes, but, um, you know, in this circumstance that, you know, that's probably the best they could do. And at least they didn't just send an email. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean mm-hmm. we lower our standards, but, you know, when we're talking about empathy and stuff, the, the, I think the speed and the, the pressure of trying to respond and make decisions, you know, we're kind of, we're really under the gun and it makes it hard to do, do these things, you know, in the way with some of the values that you hold for work. Um, anyway, that's more of a comment mm-hmm. than a question with our last couple minutes. Um, any final thought, which would give you about a minute for that. And then we'll find out where people can reach out to you. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts, really. Um, I, I love sharing resources that have helped me. Um, I really appreciate your first question, you know, of our conversation about actionable DNI, DEI. Um, <laughs> and so um, I'd be happy to share a couple resources that have helped me uh, if we have time for that. Um, just kind of authors and kind of other thought leaders that sure. help okay. folks get really immersed in this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can include that in the show notes too, but I'll call it out here. Ijioma um, Aloha is a, an author I look up to highly, and a lot of her work informs um, mine. Um, and her book, So You Want to Talk About Race, I can't recommend this book enough. Um, if you're new to having conversations about race um, and justice work, this is the best place to start. Um, another one, Lily Zhang, she is kind of a role model for me. She um, is over on the West Coast here, and. Um, writes a lot for, for Harvard Business and also leads kind of a similar business. You can find her on LinkedIn and she puts amazing content out there. And then finally, um, Paloma Medina. She is based here in Portland. Um, she talks a lot about the neuroscience of inclusion. And so um, I think I mentioned her a little bit earlier. Her TED Talk just really beautifully articulates equity and why it belongs in this work too. So just mm-hmm. wanted to um, amplify a few of those other um, amazing thought leaders that okay. inspire and my work. So the, the live feed's going to end right now, like in one second, but go ahead and share if you w- would, if you have any social media or your website, any of that kind of stuff, because most folks will listen to this on the download anyway, and they'll be able to go to your website. So go ahead and share that if you would. Sure. My website, katiezink.co. And you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Katie Zink. And on my website, I've got um, a, a, a scorecard you can download to help measure collective success in your organization. And that'll walk through some of the things I focus on. And then you can join my newsletter. Um, you can find that on my website, too. I highly recommend um, kind of staying current with me that way. Okay. And it's K-A-T-I-E if you're looking for Katie Zink, not K-A-T-Y. So um, that'll help you get there. Katie, thanks for being our guest today. It was, it was fun to talk to you and it went by like in a second. We've been doing hour long shows. So this kind of overwhelmed me a little bit as well, um, but great content and appreciate uh, a chance to get to know you stay in touch and uh, 
you know, hopefully uh, this, this will be a good show for you. Thanks for being our guest. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm going to go ahead and end the episode. Everyone have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, Katie. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.